0: Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. There was a man whose son was trying to kill him, and he knew why. To say the least, he disagreed with the boy's decision, but the fact remained that his son intended to take his life. Now, the father had made his share of mistakes as a father, some that he'd put out of mind and Some that he knew he deserved to have to remember forever. On top of that, he hadn't been much of a husband either. String of wives, one stolen from another man whose death he had arranged. He was a king, so he could make things like that happen. A poor example to his boys, a lousy father to his daughters, it all piled up on the heart of one of his sons, and that young man decided that if justice were ever to be served, it would be at his own hand, because his father otherwise was completely untouchable. And now that father knew that he was a marked man. That his would-be assassin was his own child, was almost more than he could bear, but At the same time, he sort of felt like he deserved it. What a mess. David owned a fortress. It was a luxurious palace that he'd had built for himself, but one that would also serve as sort of a command center and a place of protection should he be under attack. So at first, he retreated there and braced for Absalom's attack. But the more he thought about it, the more he realized that no fortress stands forever forever. And that boy of his had amassed a sizable army of his own and seemed permanently committed to nursing the grudge that he held against his father. So even if David and his men were able to withstand the assault, the only thing that would bring it to an end would be for David to see to the death of Absalom. He'd have to kill his own son or have it done. And that's just unthinkable. So David prepared himself to do something he had never before done, to shrink back from a fight, to forfeit, to give up his position and his palace and to slink out of town before Absalom and his forces arrived. David, of course, had thrown other rulers down. He'd stormed their places of refuge. He'd taken their belongings, seized their lands... He'd sent them fleeing in ten different directions, but never once had imagined that it might happen to him. He was a winner every time. But now he found himself packing light and barking orders to get the right people in the right places and to get most of his family out of town with him. Most of his family. His lesser wives. How sad that I have to say that on Mother's Day would remain in the fortress in the hopes that Absalom would honor them as David's wives and leave the palace intact. A strategic move on David's part. But David and the rest were headed out of town to the desert, and they were headed there in shame. They crossed the brook at the foot of the hill below the city and they, they started up the dusty road on the other side. David couldn't look up. He just watched the heels of the guy in front of him and the gravel that was displaced with each step. But then suddenly, raining down on his head and shoulders was a, a pelting of, of dirt and rocks and there came a mocking voice from the hill above him. Something about him being a coward and liar and thief. No king at all. Something about him getting what he deserved now. Something about wising up and admitting that God's judgment was falling on him. David didn't have the strength or the will to fight back because this time he wondered if maybe the mocker might actually know the voice and the will of God. So he told his guards to leave the man alone, and he just took it all the abuse, disrespect, the insults. He just took it all. And as the shouts continued, David realized that fortress number two, the desert, was turning out to be not much of one either. And since he had no choice but to continue to walk because Absalom and his men were bearing down on the city behind them, he just put left foot in front of the right one and right one in front of the left, again and again and again until well past dusk when his weakened entourage arrived at some little make-do shelter hidden off in the dry hills outside of Jerusalem. The walk had been tiring, but it was more than just his knees that were wobbling as he sank into the chair that night. His body was grateful for some rest at last, but his heart and mind lacked any he was troubled, so he reflected on the day that was coming to an end. He'd been a majestic, wealthy ruler at sunrise, a skillful battle tactician working his trade by mid morning, an unwilling warrior by noon, public fool come evening, and now some kind of a has been vagabond with a price on his head, with a new title public enemy number one. As the numbness of fatigue began to dull the agonies of his mind and body, he slipped away to a favorite memory from his boyhood. Each evening about this time, he remembered, he would be gathering the last of the sheep into the pen next to his parents' home just outside Bethlehem and With that task done, he would swing the gate closed and and have to work the latch into its place in the corner post. And the post had always been loose as long as he could remember, so he'd have to lean into it with his shoulder and and push it a little bit and and with his hands work the latch into the gate. And in so doing, everything would line up perfectly, but with some effort. And he'd always told himself that he'd get around to fixing and rehanging the gate and replacing the corner post and the section of teetering fence that was attached to it. But life happened, you know? And it never seemed important enough to get done that day, so it never did. So there was still a wobbly old fence out there somewhere miles away, just one good push from tipping over forever. And it dawned on David that there was another one Sitting in his chair as well. No one knew for sure whether they'd been followed. No one knew for sure whether they were going to be safe for the night. And everyone knew that they would never really be safe ever again as long as Absalom lived. David didn't want to think about that or admit it, but he finally had to. And he had to admit that he felt betrayed and like a failure and like an excuse maker and like a coward. Like a victim, and like a man who really needed God to be real. He'd instinctively known that there could be no rest for him in the Jerusalem fortress. He'd found out the hard way that there'd be no refuge for him in the desert. And from his days at war, he knew that the cloak of darkness couldn't even protect him for long. Neither could some distance from the enemy because those things are always changing and how far the enemy away is away could only be revealed by daylight or an attack in the middle of the night. That's when he remembered a few lines from a poem that he'd written. It sort of just came to him Some time ago, when he was evaluating the Jerusalem fortress's readiness for a battle like the one he was fleeing, these lines didn't rhyme, but he hadn't needed them to that day and didn't suppose he needed them to this night. It went something like this My soul finds rest in God alone, my salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken. That was it. Now he remembered. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken. It was coming to him now, so he grabbed a pen and a piece of government-issued parchment, turned his chair to face the table in the room where he sat, and began to scratch out a few more lines as they came. Maybe one day they'd be a song, he thought. He wrote, How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. He hummed a tune in a minor key and drummed a finger on the table and then went back to those thoughts that had become for him a chorus. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. So trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a scale... They're nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken. Two things have I heard. That you, O God, are strong. And that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person. According to what he has done. So it wasn't the best song, and it wandered a bit off topic here and there. And David had surprised himself with a few thoughts about God taking revenge on Absalom, but it had come to him as though it were just being given to him by God himself. So he wrote it down and he tucked it away in a personal bag. And, and somehow, in spite of the circumstances that it had not changed one bit, David felt safe. Or rather, knew that he finally was. That's the story behind the song that is known to us as the Bible's Psalm 62. It's the story of a person so embattled by his own fear and sorrow and guilt and shame and anger, and by the lies and the mean-spirited intent of others, that he was on the verge of just giving up altogether... You see, when you're running for your life from your own family, when you've been beaten down so much that you're willing to just take the insults and abuses and accusations of the people around you and wondering if maybe it isn't the voice of God, well, you're either at rock bottom or getting kind of close. And from there... As far as I can tell, there are exactly three options to choose from. I'm going to talk about them in just a minute. But first, I want to ask a very simple but direct question of you this morning. Are you in some version of that story? Can you find yourself in some version of David's story this morning? I mean, I get it. I know that there are no dethroned kings or queens among us, but there might be some moms and dads who've finished the task of raising their children and now live with deep regrets, maybe for decades at this point. There may be some husbands who wish that they could take back the slights and insults and indiscretions of their marital pasts. There might be some wives who sit on secrets of their own or things they wish had been kept secret. There might be professionals who've painted themselves into a corner with their integrity compromised, their reputations tarnished. There are people whose financial realities today feel like a full frontal assault. And folks who've said in the last week, I can't take one more thing, one more pressure. I have an extended family member, a cousin, who got to that place one week ago yesterday. He jumped on Facebook and said, He's checking out from life. Checking out on all of us. The whole family was, was scared half to death, but it helped us to realize that he was scared completely to death. Fortunately, one of his friends drove to a place where they thought they might find him, and they did, and they intervened. So, as I was listening to this psalm later in the week, I recognized the heart cries of my cousin and a number of other people that I know as well. And of course realized that for every person that I knew who was in that place, there were dozens more that I had no knowledge of. Maybe dozens more in this crowd. And as I began to feel the the burden of that in my own heart, the burden that consists of the collective burdens of my brothers and sisters. My heart grew heavy, and I have to tell you that that quiet devotional time that's supposed to build my faith and strengthen my soul, well, it was not very enjoyable. I started to whine a little bit and started asking God to just let up on people. Give people a break. I have to confess to you that my experience wasn't, let's say, spiritually ideal and exemplary. But it was real. (laughs) But then I heard something. I was listening to this scripture. And I heard something that jolted my memory and began to change my perspective. David wrote these words. One thing God has spoken. Two things have I heard. That you, O God, are strong. And that you, O oh Lord, are loving. Four words in there made all the difference in the world for me. God, strong. Lord, loving. Listen to him again. God, strong. Lord, loving. And they come in that order and in pairs. While his kid's trying to kill him, while he's hiding in a cave somewhere, while he's remembering all of his screw-ups and his flat-out sins, David reaches out and takes hold of two truths. That God, the supreme being of the universe, a king who can never be dethroned, a father who always does what's right by his children... God has, has limitless power and He's promised to bring that power to bear on us and on every situation that we face. The Scriptures teach that He will apply His force to the circumstances of our lives in order to change them or He will give that power to us to strengthen us through our times of difficulty and pain. God, strong. That's the first pair. The second pair is Lord. Loving. Those words matter too. Lord is a word that recognizes the place of authority that this sovereign God holds over every living being and also over every bit and particle of the created order too. He works not just with people, you know. And the definition of love that we've learned in recent days, I'll ask you to recite it with me if you can. If not, read it off the screen so you can learn it. it. goes like this. Love is a demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above myself, even at great personal expense by the help of the Holy Spirit. You put those two ideas together, God, strong, Lord, loving, and here's what you get. The knowledge that the all-powerful God will use his position of authority over every human being, over every spiritual being, and over every nook and cranny and corner of this universe, not to serve his own selfish needs, but to establish your well-being. Long sentence, I'm going to say it again. If you put those two ideas together, what you get is the knowledge that the all-powerful God will use his position of authority over every human being, every spiritual being, and every speck of dust in this universe not to serve his own selfish interests, but to establish your well-being because that's what love is. And that's what we meant when we sang earlier, you make all things work together for our good. So there's a question What is it that's pressing against your soul this morning? What's weighing you down? What is it that has beaten the joy out of out of you? What do you fear? What's the ache in your soul that's pushed you to the very edge of hopelessness? Put another way, do you have a heart cry this morning? If so, I mentioned that in times like this, I think there are exactly three options available to you. Here they are. Number one, give up and just sink into despair and let it take you wherever it takes you. Now, I am not suggesting that, but it is a real option and we all know people who've done it. Some have decided to end their lives and others have decided they'll just quit living even though they're going to still draw a breath or two. They'll marinate in their own hopelessness and spread their own gospel of despair. And those people experience life, all of it, as bitter, empty, and cruel. And they scoff at those of us who hold on to hope. That's option number one. It's not a good one, but it's an option. Option number two is this. Decide to fight a little while longer, but under your own power. That may look heroic or noble, at least initially, But the truth is that we are all made out of dust and that means that we have our limits. The human ability to endure is an impressive thing but it is not eternal on its own. Fighting a little while longer may delay the inevitable but when it comes, it looks like this. Inability to continue in our own strength and whenever we reach that point, option number one starts to look really attractive to us. But there's a third option. And the third option is this. Turn to the one person who has demonstrated unending strength and unending love and find rest and peace in him. It's a real option. That person is God and his son Jesus came to make it possible for us strugglers to connect with God and to experience his strength and his love in real time when we need them if you find yourself identifying with any of the heart cries of Psalm 62 today, and I think we all do at various points in our lives, you have options. Give up and sink into despair. Decide to fight under your own power for a little while longer. Or you can turn to the God who wants to demonstrate his strength and his preference for you in a way that you can really understand. I know what David faced because I've read his story. I don't know what you're facing unless You've told it to me recently. But I do know the God who uses His strength to change circumstances for me or who lends His strength to me so that I can bear up under these present difficulties long enough to be changed and shaped and refined by them and ready for the next one or the big one when it comes. And I know the God who does not take any enjoyment out of my difficulties. And because of that is promised He'll work all things together for my good because that's what he prefers. My good, even at his expense, the very definition of love. So here's the bottom line today. There is an experience of peace or rest in the souls of those who turn to God with their burdens. Please hear me. This Christian faith is not about moralism. There's some things that God hopes to work in our character, but that is not what Christianity is about, being a better boy or a nicer girl. So not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is to connect human beings with God so that we can one, become like him, and two, gain the help that we need in this broken down world of ours. So, this morning, just knowing that life does to you what it does to me, I just felt the need to tell you, and maybe it just came out of my family's junk this week, you can stand in peace instead of falling to pieces. You really can. There is an experience of rest and peace for the people of God in the middle of difficulties. We do not have to come apart at the seams. I bet we could stay here halfway through the afternoon if I asked, Could you tell us something in the last month that tested your will, that proved a little bit too big for you some Tuesday afternoon? But you found the help of God and the ability to find peace and rest. Bunches of you would make your way to your feet and share with your brothers and sisters. I hope that you'll take some time to do that in this coming week. That you'll have your eyes and ears about you so that you can notice the fellow struggler around you and say, let me tell you about how God has helped me with my difficult thing. But this morning, we're going to do something. We've got, uh, we've got another baptism here in just a minute, which excites me a lot. But between now and then, I want to give you a chance to simply, having heard the word of the Lord now, turn to him with the things that are troubling you. When I want to ask you to stand with me and I don't care what you do. Bow your heads, close your eyes, whatever. You may stay seated if you want to, but these altars are open and they are here not for decor. They are not here because sanctuaries are supposed to have them and it's a, an essential design element. They are here so that people can kneel at them and pray. It's It's this idea that I'm going to my knees because the weight has become too much for me. But when I finally get to my knees, I can offload this burden and place it on this altar and the God who cares will meet me there and take the burden or put an arm around me and help me to carry it. Got a word picture for you. In the New Testament, uh, particularly in the book of Acts, the word for Holy Spirit is paraclete. That's the, the Greek word. And it means this. Um, Shay, can I use you for just a minute? Come up here. Here's, this is a word picture. Paraclete means the one who comes alongside. But it doesn't do Shay a whole lot of good if I just come here and stand alongside him if he's carrying a heavy burden. You're carrying a heavy burden. But if, on the other hand, I get, I get some, a hand under the weight and a hand around him to steady him, suddenly my presence alongside him is more than a token. Thinking of ya, Right? It makes a real difference in his ability to continue to carry the load. The scriptures paint the picture that there is a comforter, one who will come alongside you and either take the burden or take you. So let's pray. If you have a need that you would like to come and offload to God or ask for his help with, the altars are open. Lord, we bow in your presence today. We've struggled valiantly. Some of us, though, have quit struggling. We've just settled into the thought that maybe it'll always be this way. We've given up hope. But we read the lyrics to a song. We heard a man who was hard-pressed it, beyond ways that most of us can imagine. Hunted by his own son? Haunted by his past? We get that part. Hunted by his son? Hard-pressed. He said again and again and again that you were his shelter, that you were his refuge, that you were his rock, that you were his fortress, And he said with a sense of finally triumphant hope that you, God, are strong and that you, God, are loving. I want to ask you to come and just come in close to these brothers and sisters of ours who are kneeling here today. Surely there are more who just said, I'm not moving from my seat. God, I don't even have the strength to go down there. I'm asking you, Lord, to make good on the things that you've taught us in your word today, that you'd bring peace And rest to the hearts of those who are hard pressed today. Give us, Lord, the faith that it takes to trust you with our difficult things. Honestly, some of us have been pretty disappointed in your performance in the past. And as we stretch your way today, it is with a renewed sense of hope or a desperate cry for help. And I'm asking you, oh God, to show yourself strong. To show yourself, oh Lord, to be loving. Help these brothers and sisters of mine with their loads, like you've helped me with mine. In your name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Tell you what, if you're at the altar praying, you can stay there. It is way okay. Um, but Jake Sharay is going to be baptized here in just a few moments he's a uh, young boy who's worshipped with us a handful of times now and uh, I want you to get this he was here just worshipping with us and saw a friend of his Christian Liber take this big step of baptism and When he saw the courage of his friend and the faith of his friend, it moved him to the place where he said, Hmm, I want that too. Jake's being baptized today because of his faith, but his faith came partly because of the demonstrated faith of a friend.